Welcome to the New Books Network. Ezekiel contains some of Scripture's most mysterious visions and oracles. The searing indictment of God's unfaithful people for their idolatry warns of impending judgment. Yet God also issues the comforting promise of forgiveness and restoration through a new David who will unite and shepherd God's people. Join us as we speak with the editor of the Concordia Commentary series, Christopher Mitchell, about the first volume of the commentary on Ezekiel by the late Horace D. Hummel. Chris, welcome to New Books and Biblical Studies. Thank you very much for having me on. So Chris, tell us about yourself and your editorial work on the Concordia Commentary series. Sure, thank you for the invitation. I could start by saying I'm an adult convert to the Christian faith. I was raised in an intellectual family of humanists, I would say. I was supposed to be a scientist like my dad and my brothers, but God got a hold of me and I ended up uh, doing grad work in Hebrew, Greek, and then attending Concordia Seminary here in St. Louis, where Concordia Publishing House is located. So my life has been a series of decisions I made and then that God changed. So it's been a wonderful uh, life of service working at the publishing house. I've been here 34 years. I get to spend my days reading Hebrew and Greek and interacting with wonderful biblical scholarship written by the best Lutheran Bible scholars that we can find all over the globe, um, including Dr. Hummel. We have a few authors from Australia, Canada, Brazil, and then most of them are from the U.S. So it's a joy to be able to dedicate my life to this way of serving our Lord Jesus Christ. We'll be discussing Horace D. Hummel's volumes on Ezekiel. Would you give us something of a biography of Hummel's life and ministry? Sure. He was born in a very small town in Nebraska and grew up in a farming community. He said that his little country church that he attended had symbols on the stained glass windows of the four animals that show up in Ezekiel in the initial vision. There are these angelic creatures with four faces who help hold up the throne of the Lord. So he became intrigued from an early age with the imagery of Ezekiel. He had an interesting academic route. He studied under William F. Albright at Johns Hopkins University. Uh, He's one of the um, Albright School members. Several of the other colleagues that he had went on to have influential careers at Harvard, U of Michigan, and so on. Uh, He was initially quite attracted to some of the historical critical scholarship, but then he had an abrupt change of heart. I once asked him how that happened. He didn't go into any details, but he became very conservative. 
he was called to Concordia Seminary here in St. Louis in the early 70s, and he taught the rest of his life here. Uh, he also did a lot of traveling. He was a guest professor at various seminaries around the world. I recall that he said he worked on his Ezekiel commentary a lot when he was teaching in Siberia, Novosibirsk. And wherever he went, he took his commentary and worked on it. Um, he wrote it all by longhand, which was you know, quite unusual. So when he turned it in, it consisted of three ring notebooks of, of handwritten text. His handwriting was hard to decipher. We had to hire one of the longtime seminary secretaries who could read his handwriting. And even then, there are a few places where she couldn't quite make out what he wrote. So I would look carefully and try to make an educated guess as to what he had written. Yeah, he lived a long time. He just recently died in 2021. He retired in California. And he had a remarkable influence on a whole generation of scholars in the church body I serve, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, and I think quite beyond our borders. I would go to the SBL meetings with him, and he would recognize and be recognized by scholars from all over. There's been a whole generation of people in our church body who have been inspired to pursue the Old Testament, and I'm certainly one of those. And I have some other good friends who have written for the commentary series who likewise were inspired to study the Old Testament because of him. Let's talk about Hummel's commentary work on Ezekiel. How long did it take him to complete the full work, both volumes? And what unique angle would you say he brought to the study of Ezekiel? He was under contract for a total of 15 years, 1992 to 2007. But I don't think that tells the full story. He had taught Ezekiel for decades before that as a seminary class. And he was fascinated by what I would call the liturgical aspects of the Old Testament. Um, so the idea of ritual that you have in, say, the book of Leviticus, um, Ezekiel was a priest as well as a prophet, and that background comes through in his prophecy. So you, you have these pictures of worship on a divine level. So in the opening vision in Ezekiel, also when the glory of the Lord leaves the temple in chapters 9 to 11, and then finally at the end of the book, the glory returns to the eschatological temple. So these sorts of things fascinated Dr. Hummel. When he would lead chapel at the seminary, he would go all out. He would even have incense a lot of us seminary students could hardly stand being <laughs> in chapel with that pungent smell of incense. But yeah, that was just part of his character as a scholar, 
to try to look into these divine mysteries. Almost first volume covers chapters 1 through 20 of Ezekiel. So who was Ezekiel and what was the historical context of his prophetic ministry? He was an exilic prophet. He seems to have been carried away into exile before the fall of Jerusalem itself. There were some waves of deportation starting 605 B.C., And he seems to be among those early exiles who were carried away to Babylon. So the first part of his prophetic book is um, definitely delivered before the fall of Jerusalem. In fact, the first 24 chapters, Ezekiel's quite a nice, neat book in terms of its structure, so 48 chapters long. And the first half is clearly before the fall of Jerusalem, which is usually dated to 586 BC. Um, and then it's the the book as a whole is structured in the way Dr. Hummel would describe it as law and gospel. So the first half has many judgment oracles, especially against the unfaithfulness of Judah, it's mainly condemnation. Then you have a series of chapters, 25 to 32, that are judgment oracles against other nations, pagan nations around Israel. And Hummel would describe those as um, gospel for Israel in the sense that Judgment on the enemies of the Lord is a kind of salvation for the Lord's people. The enemies are trying to destroy God's people, and so judgment against these enemies is a part of God's way of saving his people. And then you have uh, the later chapters, uh, especially starting at chapter 34, Uh, salvation oracles specifically for Israel, and these then come in the context of a repentant people. Jerusalem has fallen. The people finally realize the enormity of their sin and that they deserve this judgment. So then they're in a, a spiritual disposition to hear about God's forgiveness and salvation. Uh, so this would be a good example of the the proper pastoral application of law and gospel. When people are smug and complacent in their sins, that's not a time to try to comfort them. Uh, rather, you need to proclaim the law, the severity of God's judgment. And then once people repent and are eager for forgiveness, then that's when you proclaim the gospel of God's free grace and salvation, ultimately for the sake of Jesus Christ. Just to to finish off that overview of the structure of Ezekiel as a whole, uh, the last chapters, 40 to 48, are quite enigmatic. Uh, One of the more difficult passages in all of Scripture to interpret Um, Hummel's view is that those chapters basically depict the eschatological state of the people of God, the 
the restored state in eternity. There are several different ways you can interpret those chapters, but Hummel relates them to the end of Revelation, where you have the new temple, well, the new Jerusalem. There's no temple except God and the Lamb, but you get this very detailed measurement of the city, all these dimensions, and that's the same kind of thing going on in Ezekiel 40 to 48. There's an angelic messenger with a measuring rod who measures all the dimensions. So Hummel's interpretation is that these measurements are a concrete way to stress the reality of the eternal state. That is, um, after the return of Christ, we'll be raised from the dead in body. So our eternal life will not just be a, a spiritual or theoretical kind of existence, but a, a real bodily life in a real a new Jerusalem, a, a physical new creation. Hummel writes about a mountain motif in Ezekiel. Would you explain this for us? Sure. Yeah, this is a fascinating motif that extends throughout the scriptures. Um, to start with the beginning, you have the Garden of Eden. You have rivers, four rivers flowing in the Garden of Eden, Hubble makes the point that it's natural to think of a mountain as the source of rivers like we can observe in our world today. And in traditional Christian artwork, uh, Eden is often pictured as a kind of a mountain setting, of course, a garden on top. At the end of the scriptures, you have the New Jerusalem pictured again as it's kind of a mountaintop uh, setting. And throughout scripture, in between the beginning and the end, you have prominent mountains. Um, in the Old Testament, of course, Mount Sinai, the place where heaven and earth met, so to speak. So the Lord came down onto Mount Sinai. And so the mountain is a place where, in terms of the earth's geography, mountain reaches the highest up toward heaven. So it's natural to think of it as a place where heaven and earth can meet, where God can come down, where humanity can ascend for the purpose of worshiping and having um, communion with God. Uh, you have that in um, Exodus 24, when the elders went up on Mount Sinai and saw God and ate and drank, uh, you have the mountain motif popping up in a lot of other prophetic passages. Um, uh, Isaiah, for example, the mountain is the place where God is going to provide the eschatological banquet, the end times banquet with the finest food, and God will wipe away death forever. So Ezekiel, excuse me, Isaiah 25, 26. Um, now, unfortunately, what happened in the history of Israel is the Israelites copied the Canaanites in making mountains places of idolatrous worship. So the, the Canaanites would have high places 
um, and you get uh, vegetation, you get Ashura poles, you have references to pagan worship under green leafy trees, which could relate to the, the garden motif, the original good creation that God had intended. But uh, because of corrupt worship practices, the sinful nature in people, um, humanity perverted what God's original intent was for the mountain setting. Ezekiel has a lot of prophecies uh, against the mountains because of what was going on there, the, the Canaanite worship, the false worship practices. Uh, so there are many places where God says to Ezekiel, prophesy against the mountains and, and so on. Um, now, Horace ultimately connects this motif to Mount Calvary. Uh, Horace's way of interpreting the Old Testament is always to try to center it in Jesus Christ so that everything in the, New, in the Old Testament anticipates and then is fulfilled in the ministry of Jesus Christ. And in Christ's ministry, you have, for example, the mountain of transfiguration where Christ's glory is revealed along with Elijah and Moses. Uh, but Mount Calvary is the epitome of the mountain motif because it's there that heaven and earth truly do meet where Christ offers the sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins for the whole world, you know, suffers and dies, is buried, and then his resurrection is from a tomb adjacent to Calvary. And then you also get Christ's ascension from a, a mountain setting, Mount of Olives. Now, most of Volume 1 of the commentary focuses on prophecies of judgment against Israel. But there is a little hope offered in Chapter 17, which Hummel describes as the allegory of the cedar sprig and the Messiah planted by the Lord. Would you explain that section for us briefly? Sure. Yes, you get glimpses of the gospel interwoven between these often very frightening judgment prophecies. So what's going on there in chapter 17 is you have this allegory of the cedar tree, which historically represents um, Israel. The king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, comes and chops down or destroys the tree. So that's the judgment on Judah, the destruction of Jerusalem. But you have that uh, little passage at the end where God is going to save a little sprig from that chopped down tree and God's going to plant it. It's going to regrow. So it's the motif of the line of David, the Davidic kings. So the last um, Davidic kings were not totally destroyed. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar took uh, Jehoiakim and Jehoiachin, <laughs> uh, similar last names of the last kings of, of Jerusalem. So um, rather than just killing them, he took 
um, Jehoiakim, if I remember correctly, to Babylon, who was in prison, but at the end of his life, he was released from prison. So you get this hint historically that the line of David is going to continue. Then in post-exilic prophecy, so the books of Haggai and Zechariah, you have the figure of Zerubbabel, who's the governor of the province of Yehud or, or Judah. So that Davidic line continues, and of course that continues to be the line of Jesus Christ, who's acclaimed the son of David, the one who fulfills these prophecies. So yes, that's at the end of Ezekiel chapter 17. Chris, we'll look forward to part two of our interview covering Hummel's second volume on Ezekiel. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Friends, you've been listening to New Books and Biblical Studies, a channel of the New Books Network. Until next time, goodbye.